I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and are able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister to Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except Christ, of what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonder, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Paul, over the last many weeks, has been talking to us about the church. He's taught us that in the church we're to be aware of our strengths, we're to be aware of our weaknesses. He's told us that in the church, at all times, we are to be pursuing love, joy, and peace. This is to be first and foremost in our life together. He has told us you are to love your neighbor even as you love yourself. And he intentionally pointed you to the person sitting next to you as your first and primary neighbor. Those around you, those are the ones you're supposed to be loving first. You're to put their good ahead of your own good. You're to understand what the community that is called the church is to be about. What then next should Paul say to us? What should he say to next? He's taught us about the church. He's taught us about what we're to do inward. And now Paul is going to begin to point us outward. This is your responsibility to one another. And now this is your responsibility to the world around you. You're to understand what does it mean to work for Jesus what is your ministry to look like? You have to be careful that we don't become cloistered Christians. That we don't come into this building and isolate ourselves from the world. I had one, heard one minister talk about how we are developing Christian ghettos. Just little areas where we go into as Christians and we just hang out with Christians. And we feel comfortable there and we feel secure there. But the end result of that is that we're not focusing outward. We must be looking to have a ministry to the world around us. How are we doing this? How are we to do this? Paul calls us to have confidence in our ministry. But you can only have confidence in your ministry if you know who to have confidence in. Paul himself, in his ministry, as he went from place to place, said, I only boast in Christ, in Christ alone. 
Jesus is the author of any ministry that we participate in. He is to be at the core of our work. He is the one that we work for, not for ourselves, not so we can boast in our efforts, not so we can come here as a body and have more people and a nicer and fancier church. No, we work for Christ. We are his servants. So how are we to do this? How are we to work for Jesus in his kingdom? Paul's going to paint a picture for us. He's going to paint a picture for what ministry is to look like. As he's drawing Romans to an end, his letter to the, the Roman church to an end, he's going to begin to talk what seems mostly about an itinerary. This is my plans. These are my travel plans. And this comes in three parts through chapter 15. Uh, verse 14, he's going to begin by saying, brothers, let me tell you what's going on. Verse, verse 22, and then verse 30, he's going to tell them about his plans. And his plan is that he hopes to come to Rome. He first has to go to Jerusalem, but from Rome then he wants to go on to Spain and start a new work. And Paul's ministry is shaped by the contents and emphasis of his letter, of his desire to be going forward. He's concerned about Jerusalem. He's concerned about bringing the uh, collections, the uh, monies for them. He's concerned about how he'll be received in Jerusalem. He's preparing for his trip to Rome. He's looking towards Spain. But Paul is always concerned. From the very beginning of this letter, chapter 1, he was concerned about how the Romans would receive him. And once again here, we see him kind of speaking gingerly with them. And yet boldly. He's encouraging them, I believe, to be about the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to our text today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a righteous ministry. We're going to see a confident ministry. And we're going to see an expanding ministry. A righteous ministry, a confident ministry, and an expanding ministry. Paul begins here in, in chapter 14 by addressing the, his brothers or the brothers and sisters in Rome. And he says, I'm satisfied about you. He's transitioning out of what he was saying into something new. He commends them for their spiritual maturity. He's not being insincere here. It would be somewhat humorous, I think, as you consider this. Paul, you've just nailed them to the wall for 15 chapters. And then you say, well, I have confidence in your ministry. I have confidence in you. I'm commending you for your spiritual maturity. And, it, and it's not that he's even being insincere here. He's recognizing something. He knows about Rome. He's heard about Rome from Priscilla and Aquila. He knows their problems, but he also knows their strengths. He knows, as he says here, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. He said, you're filled with goodness. This is a general upright conduct, but it's even more than that. The word here, it's kindness and generosity towards others. He's saying, I know you have kindness and generosity towards others. I know that you're filled with these things because I've heard reports about these things. And I know that this goodness flows out of your understanding of the common faith we have in Jesus Christ. 
He says, look, I've, I've written to you boldly, and I've told you about things that I think you're deficient in. And he's been very strong in his language, hasn't he? If you go back over the months that we've been in Romans, he has not pulled any punches. But this does not mean that he doesn't see good in them, that they are uh, Christians. He did this to remind them. It's not that they have it figured out. He's, he's taught and exhorted them to strengthen their faith. And Paul addresses them with authority. He says, look, I, I can address you because I'm a minister of Jesus Christ, specifically to the Gentiles. Who are the Roman church? They're Gentiles. He says, I have authority to address you. This is a gift of God's grace given specifically to him. And so we look at this, okay, well, what is this about? So Paul is calling the Roman church, okay, they're good and they're upright in a sense. What does that mean for us today? And so we have to ask ourselves this question, are, are we filled with goodness? Let me encourage you, church. If you are in Christ Jesus, then you are filled with goodness. Goodness is in you. We know that we're not perfect, but we're neither helpless or hopeless. And so I look at you and I see the way you love one another. I see the way that you care for one another. And so I, in the position of Paul, get to stand before you and say, church, I see Christ's goodness in you. Be encouraged in that. Be strengthened in that. And that is a great message, I feel like, as Paul has been nailing us to the wall week after week. And he's been saying, look, these are your deficiencies. But he says, I see goodness in you. Don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil beat that out of you. Love one another. Be upright. You are filled with his goodness. And it enables you to love well. It enables you to show generosity to those around you. No, you're not perfect. Yes, you have problems. Yes, you'll fall on your face over and over again. Yes, I will do the same. But Christ who dwells in you has put his goodness in you. And therefore, you can go with confidence. Why could Paul be so confident in what he was doing? Paul got to stand there and say, I am called as a minister of the gospel by Jesus Christ. I am certain in what I'm doing. And I know that my job is to go to the Gentiles. The Roman church was mostly Gentiles. And this put, this, this put them in Paul's, under Paul's authority. But interestingly here, he doesn't name himself an apostle. He says, I'm to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Paul says, I'm to be a priest to you. Well, this does not jive well for us, does it? Why would Paul use the language of a priest? What did a priest do? It was the job of the priest to administer the sacrifices in the temple. Paul, you've been telling us that we don't need those sacrifices anymore, right? Why are you comparing yourself to a priest? 
And he's not claiming to be a priest to make sacrifices. And he agrees, yes, the Old Testament sacrifices have been replaced. But he is a priest. And that he is to offer up to God the offering of the Gentiles. That the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul sees his work as priestly in that he is bringing the Gentiles to God. He is instrumental in bringing them from unclean, sinful creatures to holy offerings in the service of God. Not that he does the work himself, but that God is using him for that purpose. And so he says, I'm a priest and I'm bringing the Gentiles to God. This is my work. And so he says in 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have a reason to be proud of my work for God. And you would say in some sense, Paul is being boastful. Look how arrogant and puffed up he is. He says, my job as a priest to bring people to God. Look how good I am. No, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, I boast in what I get to do for Jesus because of Jesus. That's what he's saying. I get to go out and bring the Gentiles in for God, not that I do it on my own strength, but because of Jesus, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. This is what he's doing. He's bringing the Gentiles to obedience as a priestly function through the working of the spirit. And so he boasts in his role. He boasts in Jesus Christ. He boasts in the things of God. He boasts in his priestly ministry, not in his own doing, but in the work of God in his life. He speaks of what Christ has accomplished through him. Any success that Paul has, Paul acknowledges is from God. Because Christ is the active worker. Paul is simply the instrument through which God is working. That's what he is. And so the Gentiles' obedience is the object, is the goal, I should say, of his ministry. He says this comes by word and by deed. And verse 19 is going to say, well, what does that mean by word and deed? And he continues in 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. He's giving credit where credit is due. And we'd be tempted here to say, well, he's just talking about miracles here. I think miracles are included in this, but I don't think they're exclusive here. Uh, it's no reason we should confine this to miracles. It's all about his, all his work with the Gentiles. Everything that he's done up to this point, it's come through the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit of God. I think we can stop here for a second and say, if we ask this question, do you think Paul saw himself as a key figure in the history of salvation? I think that he would say yes. In a way, he's saying, look what I get to do. And it seems very boastful in a way. But he did not see himself as the ultimate authority. He knew that his ultimate agent of work was the spirit in Christ. And obedience was the goal. And he says, I've done all this from Jerusalem all the way around 
to Elycrium. And what's Paul doing here? We say, why these two places? And really, a little known fact, Paul's ministry started in Jerusalem. It was very short. But he started in Jerusalem, and then we go to Elycrium, and this is north and west and Macedonia, all this, out, all this area. And he says, I went around, and this means circling or ringing. He's saying, I went all this course through these areas, and it was not a direct route. And if you ever look at the map of Paul's journey, it was never a direct route. It was always kind of his working out and back in and back out again. And he's saying, I've gone around all these places, and I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's a bold claim, isn't it? I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. How can he make this claim? Well, John Knox says it this way. He could say that he had completed the preaching of the gospel from Jerusalem to Lycrium only because this statement would have meant for him that the message had been proclaimed and the church planted in each of these nations, north and west across Asia Minor and the Greek Peninsula. Proclaimed widely enough and planted firmly enough to assure that the name of Christ would soon be heard throughout its borders. Paul had spread the good news of the gospel to the Gentile world and it was going forth. All right. Well, that's all well and good. Of course, Paul is a key figure in salvation history. We all know that, right? He's Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He's a special guy. We're not Paul, right? We're not called the same way Paul is, right? Paul was given a very specific ministry by Christ himself. I haven't been given a very specific ministry by Christ himself, right? No, that's not true. Brothers and sisters, it is no less true of you. Go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Guess who that message is to? You. Guess who that message is from? Christ. Christ Jesus has given you a very specific message message. He has given you a very specific ministry. And he hasn't done it because you're good enough or strong enough or special enough or that you're going to write the whole of the New Testament. It's not why he's done it. It's not that he comes and looks at you and says, hmm, you're convincing enough. I, you could win souls for me. I choose Jeff Lucker. Because of your winning personality. Right? That's not funny. He's got a winning personality. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not laughing at him. I don't know why, why you are. These reprobates, they keep laughing at him. Why. Um, no, he doesn't look at us and say, because you're special enough. He says, I have done the work before you. And I am sending my Holy Spirit to aid and help you. Now go into the world. Guess what? You are a significant person in salvation history, just like Paul is. Because you have been given a very specific task. Are you fulfilling that task? 
Does God need us? No. But he chooses to use us. Are we being used? Jesus himself commanded you to take place in this process, to have a ministry. He has given you the responsibility to spread the gospel, to go out and tell those who have never heard about him the good news about him. Go. He has gone before you. Have confidence. It's not about you. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you say. And what are our hesitations always? Well, I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. I can't do that. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good. You're right. But Christ is working. Do you believe he's working? Do you believe that the spirit is residing in you and working in you? If you believe it to be true, then go work in his kingdom. Go in obedience. Have what I, I, I've titled here an expanding Ministry. Paul has an expanding ministry. It's always expanding. I make it my ambition, Paul says, to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's desire is to go where the gospel has never been preached. Now, has this ever kept him from correcting heresy in the church? Absolutely not. Paul did not plant the Roman church. And yet we see here that he has at length addressed problems in the Roman church. It's not that he hesitates to correct error where he sees it. It's not that he hesitates to encourage where he sees the need to encourage but he has a desire to go to those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell them about it. He emphasizes this point by quoting from Isaiah. Those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is from Isaiah 52, 15. You ever heard of the song of the suffering servant from Isaiah? This is from that. Those who have never been told of him will see. Of this, him is the suffering servant. That suffering servant is Jesus Christ. Paul's desire is to go and take the news of those who have never heard of Jesus Christ, this suffering service and servant, and bring that news to them so that they may understand. This passage that Paul quotes from matches his desire and his ministry to go to the Gentiles, those ultimately who have never followed after Jesus. He will bring it to kings and to nations. He fulfills what the Old Testament spoke would happen. Paul's ministry was ever going out. I think if Paul would have lived 15 more years, he would have continued to go out. He was continuing to bring that gospel further and further and further out. Do you have an expanding ministry? Or have we grown complacent and weary where we're at? 
We're to be moving out. Yes, we're to have a ministry to one another. And that's what Paul's already said that, have a ministry to one another. But do you have a ministry to those also around you regionally, nationally, globally? The nations need to hear about Jesus. Are we as a church, do we have an ever-expanding ministry? Do we as individuals have an ever-expanding ministry? It's at this point that we need to be careful. Because we can easily get caught up in the modern definition of having an ever-expanding ministry. Yes, we need to have a great ministry. So let us go to the Christian bookstore and find a good book on what it means to have a good and fruitful ministry so we can grow our ministry. And those books will tell us things like, you got to have the right music programs, and you got to have the right youth programs, and you got to reach the right demographics so that you can not only grow your church in numbers, but that you can get more money coming in. And if you get more money coming in, then you can get a bigger church. And if you have a bigger church, it's more attractive and beautiful to people. And then more people are going to come here because they're going to say, look at all the great ministries they have. This is not what having an expanding ministry is about. I am not saying that any, any one of those things in themselves are bad. I am not saying that. But if that is the focus, then we have missed the point. We are to have a ministry that is like Jesus' ministry. To make his ministry the focus of all that we do. Going out to those who are sick, to those who are hurting, to those who are hungry, to those who are naked, to the unwashed masses of the world and saying, let me tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. The one who you can come and have bread and never be hungry, that you can have water and never thirst. We are to have a ministry that is primary, primarily relational because Jesus' ministry was relational. Jesus loved people where they were. He didn't walk into the room and say, let me tell you why you need to stop being a woman of the night. He didn't go to the woman at the well and say, let me tell you what a terrible person you are. He says, I can give you water, living water. People don't need fluff. What do I mean when I say that? Have you ever had marshmallow fluff? <laughs> There's this stuff you can buy in the store. It's called, I think it's called fluff. Isn't it fluff or something like that? And it basically is aerated, gooey marshmallows. If you tried to live on marshmallow fluff... It would not be good for you. Your teeth would rot out of your mouth. You would gain weight. You would not be healthy because you're living off of sugar in plasma form, whatever it is. We cannot give people Christian fluff. It's gooey and it tastes good and you're like, mm, this is good but it eventually will rot you and tear you apart. 
They need the truth of the gospel. They need the hope and love that it brings. Are we bringing the true gospel to people? Is our ministry ever expanding, going out from around us? We are called to have a ministry that is righteous. We are to bring compassion and love to those we come in contact with. We are to be upright in all that we do. We are called to have a ministry that is confident, one that does not rest in our own efforts, but rest in the efforts of Christ Jesus, in the Holy Spirit's working. And we are to have a ministry that is expanding, one that is not complacent or stagnant, but is always on the move, working in the ways that he has given us Not putting our agenda ahead of his agenda, but understanding that it's all about Jesus. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about his mission. You are to love each other well, but you are also loved to love the world around you well. And why and how are you able to do this? I don't know that there is a better picture of this than what is set here before us. Why are you able to love one another well? Why are you able to love this world well? It's not because there's something in you that is just oozing with lovableness. It's not because those around you are oozing with lovableness. It's because Christ Jesus, as Paul has told us in Romans chapter 5, while you were yet sinners, enemies of God, he died for you. While you were at enmity with him, While you were at war with him, he had compassion on you and died for you and reconciled you to God, his father in heaven. This is the picture of this table, this juice and wine and this bread. That you have been reconciled to God. So go forth and be reconcilers, be reconciling. Work diligently and faithful in the ministry of his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do do come rejoicing and with glad hearts. Lord, we are thankful for the words that you have set here before us. Lord, would you focus our eyes on your ministry, on loving one another, on loving this world well. Give us a desire and give us the means to go forth, we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand as we sing the, our hymn of preparation coming before this table. Uh, Behold the Lamb.